You're listening to the Employment Rights Online podcast, where we discuss everything employment rights and the job. everyone and welcome to the podcast. Now this is the fourth week of being furloughed and we are still in the thick of the coronavirus and there doesn't appear to be an end in sight. We now have just under a third of the UK workforce, about nine million people having been furloughed. This means that we still have many millions of workers still working every day who expect to be protected by the current health and safety legislation but feel they are not being protected. And this is what I want to focus on in today's podcast episode. Now, the coronavirus and the horror stories that we see every day on the news has put the issues of health and safety front and centre of our minds. And because the information has come out to workers in a drip, drip fashion, for those who are still at work during the outbreak, this has led to confusion and concern in industries such as construction, healthcare, social care, teaching within the postal service, within the fire service and in other professions such as aviation, with the main concern being that employers are not always doing enough to protect their workers. And as a result of this, workers are being put at risk as they try to do their jobs under the pressure of the coronavirus. Workers report that it almost feels like the enormity of the virus and the swiftness of the pace of how things are moving is providing cover for their employers to bypass their health and safety obligations. But this should not be the case, because the government has not removed the legal duty of employers to ensure the health and safety and welfare at work of all of their employees and their workers continues to be met. Now, in relation to the coronavirus, there is no doubt that the presence of the virus creates risks for workers. And if you are still at work, your employer needs to have formulated strategies and action plans to minimise any risks related to you and to your work duties. For some employers, the government has taken over that risk for them and has ordered companies to close their businesses down. And in return for closing, various financial supportive measures that range from furloughing workers via job retention schemes to providing guaranteed incomes for small and loan business owners and providing business loans for larger businesses have come into play. And in return, the workers in these various business settings are asked to remain at home under lockdown status in response to the health and safety risks posed by the virus. 
But this only takes in a fraction of the workers who are at risk. There are millions of workers who still have to go to work because their jobs have been designated as essential jobs that must be performed. Now, in relation to the employer's duty for these workers, the Health and Safety Executive has made it clear that despite the coronavirus crisis, compliance with occupational health and safety legal requirements remains with duty holders, that's employers, and the Health and Safety Executive will continue its regulatory oversight of how duty holders are meeting their responsibilities in the context of the current public health risk and based on available regulatory capacity. So whilst the Health and Safety Executive are saying that they're still watching, even though they've decided to scale back certain functions, obviously in order to also protect themselves from the virus, the Health and Safety Executive is also saying that they will continue to investigate reported concerns from the workforce or the public where people are being exposed to risks from work activities. Off the back of this, there is therefore an expectation that employers carry out and continuously update risk assessments to identify the extent to which their workers could be exposed to unnecessary or ongoing risks of infection. And the employer also has to document the steps being taken to minimise or remove that risk. So if you are a worker who is still at work, then your employer should be continuously updating the risks in order to comply with their legal duty under the Health and Safety at Work Act. And in response to that duty, employers must have introduced measures like homeworking for those workers who can work at home, social distancing at work for those workers who must be in the office or on the work site, and the use of PPE in the performance of work duties for those workers who come into direct contact with the general public who may or will have the virus. Now, the first and second measures are easy to implement and we have millions of workers, particularly local government workers, who are working from home or working under social distancing measures. But what happens if you're a nurse or a doctor or a dentist or a social worker or a care worker or some other frontline key worker who requires PPE to do your job safely, but you feel that the PPE you are given is not suitable enough to keep you safe. Here, the interpretation of the law is clear in that if your employer will not give you suitable PPE or will not replace worn or damaged PPE, you would be entitled to refuse to carry out that part of the work that requires you to use PPE. The law says that the PPE you are given must be suitable, not may, it must be suitable. And that means it must provide the necessary protection you need 
and it also must fit the person wearing it. The law relating to PPE is governed by the Personal Protective Equipment at Work regulations, which came out in 1992 and were updated in 2002 and is now called the Personal Protective Equipment Regulations. And the regulations say clearly that employers must provide the correct protective equipment for workers and ensure the working environment is as safe as possible for workers who are at risk of breathing in contaminated air which could negatively impact their lungs. Now I'm paying particular attention to this particular action. That is the need for PPE to protect people who are at risk of breathing in contaminated air. And I'm particularly looking at doctors, nurses, social workers and other frontline health workers here. Now, government has provided a whole tranche of information on PPE recommendations, which includes information on safe ways of working, recommendations for health and social care workers, recommendations for the use of PPE in particular work sessions and how often PPE should be used in those sessions, risk assessments and the use of PPE, and they even provide information on patient use of PPE to protect both patients and frontline workers. Now, if you're interested in having a look at that, I'll put a live link at the bottom of the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. And all you need to do is to scroll down and click the link and it will take you to that government guidance. Now, the news reports that have been blasted across our screens every day about the quality and shortage of PPE cannot have escaped your ears. And the problems only appear to be getting worse. Commentators on the use of PPE for frontline health workers like doctors, nurses, social workers and care workers has been a constant worry across our news screens. And the news only gets worse for these workers who are expected to put their lives at risk to battle the virus. The situation around PPE started out with acute shortages of PPE, leaving many workers being driven by their duty to save lives, being forced to do that without PPE. Then, when the PPE arrived, it was clear that the quality of the PPE was well below the standard that had been expected, particularly when it was compared to some of the pictures of PPE that were being used in countries with similar economies and infection rates to that of the UK. And the thought was being put around that if these countries can provide their workers with good standards of PPE, why can't we have it? And then, as if to make matters worse and add insult to injury, only two days ago, news was leaked, as it often is, as a way of testing public opinion News was leaked that suggested that the government would be putting plans in place for NHS care workers and other frontline workers to reuse some of their PPE, which, don't forget, is already being complained about as substandard. But the plan is that that PPE should be reused as a way of dealing with shortages of PPE availability. Clearly, 
many workers are going to feel that health and safety matters are getting worse, not better. Now, what is clear in the midst of battling the coronavirus is that if you're an NHS worker, a care worker, a social worker or any other frontline worker who is expected to run into the face of this battle, despite the issues of PPE, you are not going to be thinking about how to address your concerns. It's simply impossible for you to protest about the absence, poor quality of PPE or not being given any PPE at all when you need to address risk, safety, vulnerability or sheer human suffering and when that risk is front and centre of what you are expected to do in the call to do your duty. And in that call, many frontline workers have already lost their lives. But what is also clear is that the employer, who in this case is also the government, because the government is both regulator and employer in some cases, is not off the hook here. So this means anyone who is in the position of employer is not off the hook here. It is likely that after the battle against coronavirus and COVID-19 has been won, there will be many claims against employers from workers who believe that they've been exposed to risk because their employer did not fulfil their legal duty under health and safety at work regulations and also did not fulfil their duties under the regulations governing the provision of PPE. The law recognises this and recognises that it takes time for people to recover from the impact of being exposed to risk at work. And to that end, there is a three-year time limit associated with work-related personal injury claims, meaning that you have up to three years from the date of the workplace incident in which you were injured for you to file an accident at work claim against your employer because you did not have the necessary PPE to enable you to remain safe at work. Now that claim can also extend to include any medical professional officially diagnosed condition you have developed that is directly associated to the job you were expected to do that led to you being placed at risk because you did not have the right PPE or didn't have any PPE at all. And in my view, we are likely to see a flurry of claims after this war has been won. Because what is clear is that workers who feel their employers have failed in their health and safety at work duties are not going to be thinking about making claims now. But after this is over, those workers can make a claim for compensation for any physical, emotional or psychological injury they have suffered as a result of their employer's failure to protect them. So what can you do if you're a frontline worker? Or how can you help a family member who is a frontline worker? I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that even if in the heat of battle, NHS frontline workers and other workers 
will not feel in a position to make those complaints now. But there will be time to make those complaints later because the law allows you to do so. And you make those complaints using your employer's grievance and disciplinary procedures as a starting point. But inevitably, these complaints are going to end up in an employment tribunal. Now, in order to be able to evidence the risk that you have been exposed to and the harm that risk has caused you, you will need to document your employer's failures as you experience them because you'll need this information later when you're in the right headspace to consider your position. Now, if you're a family member of a worker who is in the front line, the way you can assist your family member is to help that worker to document what is happening at work as soon as they are able to. They can talk and you can write things down for them. Get them to talk about what risks they're being exposed to, what happens when they ask for PPE, why they feel that the PPE they've been given is not fit for the job and is exposing them to further risk and further harm and anything else that may be happening to increase the risks that they're being asked to expose themselves to. It is important to document this information now because your family will not remember the fine details of this information later after the heat of battle because your family member will not remember the fine details of this information later or after the heat of battle has subsided. So it needs to be documented now, even if it's documented and then put on a shelf and forgotten about. At least it's written down so that if your family member or if you as a frontline worker decide to revisit what you have experienced with a view to taking action, you have the information there that you can rely on. Because let's face it, it may take a year or more for the full effect of what frontline workers have been asked to expose themselves to, for the full effect of those experiences to come to light. And it's at that point that you will be relieved that you can rely on notes you took at the time. And that's why it's important to document as you're going along. OK, I hope that hasn't been too heavy or too gloomy. And I hope you found something in the information that will be of use to you. Please stay safe and we'll see you here next week. Bye for now. <laughs>